Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club, Telegraph Audio Football Club. We're here to cure your international break blues with a thorough and fair analysis of all this weekend's football. Today, it's Liverpool, Chelsea and Watford leading the way at the top of the Premier League. So a great time to explore the miracle of Hertfordshire and the chance to give the key man behind it all the respect he deserves. Give it up, podcast fans, for Harry the Hornet. Plenty of teams are having a less pleasant time and we will run the audio rule over West Ham, Burnley and, despite their victory, Arsenal and their dubious defence. Plus, sweeper-keeper gaffes, the universe in which Ed Woodward is regarded as a superstar and surprising news about one of our AFC Telegraph teammates and a dalliance with skateboarding. First up, though, it's Mystery Player. Bring me my silly music. Each week, the podcast begins with a footballer giving some clues to their identity, which will be revealed at the end of the episode. Here is this week's Man of Mystery. Hello. As a player, I played in Scotland, Denmark, England and Germany. The highlight for my career is winning promotion to the Premier League as Championship Champions. Give it some thought and stick around until the end of the programme to hear who it is. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I am joined by Football News Authority, Matt Law. How are you, Matt? I'm good, thanks. I'm, I'm getting a lot of um, Mickey taken from your introductions good, of good. me. Who from? So, <laughs> friends, family, work colleagues. <laughs> yes, good. Public. AFC Telegraph family doing their job. That's the atmosphere <laughs> we want to harbour here. Also, it's European Football Authority, Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Oh, authority's a bit mild. Come on, I'm, come on. I'm good, thanks. Embrace I'm the good. role. I've had a weekend in London, so I'm thrilled. Excellent, excellent. Nicer than Turin? Oh, I think so, but shh. <laughs> Don't tell Italy. Finally, it's tactics, strategy and inverted gegenpressing authority, JJ Ball. JJ, how are you? Oh, I've been gegenpressing all over the shop this weekend. <laughs> how enough. does that look in reality? What's, a, what's an IRL gegenpress? Just like Harry and folk in the supermarket, I suppose. <laughs> Guy, I need to get out of here. Quit. I don't know. I don't know. Queuing very closely next to the person in front yeah. of you. Yeah, exactly. Good. Exactly. Let's start at the epicentre of English football at the moment, the Elton John Stadium at Vicarage Road, Watford. Maximum points now for Watford after beating the previously undefeated Spurs. Utterly dispensable managers, solid core of players, sound recruitment, a funny mascot. Shouldn't every club be more like Watford, Matt? <laughs> at the moment, Definitely. 
harsh on their managers slightly in terms of utterly dispensable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it seems to be true. It doesn't seem to matter that much well, who's think, involved and the results stay quite good. I think that is true in terms of their recruitment and things, and I think that's why it works quite well, because they can get rid of managers and the whole thing doesn't need changing again. And Chelsea, in a, in a similar way, they've adopted almost kind of smaller version of what, of what Chelsea have done for years under Abramovich. But watching them against Tottenham yesterday, I actually thought that the manager or the coach, Javi Gracia, came out of it so well because you could see how well coached they are. The, the two centre-backs, Cabaselli, Cathcart, let's face it, before this season, you wouldn't have them down as, as great centre-backs. Not in many people's fantasy teams. Exactly. And yet they look so well drilled. You can see mm. there's work going on on the, on the training pitch with those two. All of us has been uh, yeah. really brilliant this year as well. Yeah. And then the way their plan for Tottenham in terms of it felt like they thought that Tottenham could play through the middle of them if they let them. So they forced them out wide, obviously paying a lot of attention to Cathcart and Cabaselli, then cutting out everything that, that came into the middle. And it worked brilliantly. So I thought the, the real strength you could see in Watford was how well coached they were yesterday and how well drilled. And, and that must be... I think why they're doing so well so far this season. Yeah, I, I do think it's more dependent on everyone is like saying, "Oh, is this how you know you're asking this question? Is this how we should run a club?" But Javi Gracia has always had that. He's always had a plan A and a great one, and he draws his team on how to play. He studies the opponent, but most importantly, he's he's not. He's also a little bit like Watford in the sense that he's had what ten clubs in the last ten years as well. So he like he's a bit of a journeyman himself. But he is one thing. He is he's very faithful to the players that he's working with in the club that he's with at the, at that time. And they end up having this great chemistry and they listen to everything he's saying. So you can see his ideas translate so well when it takes other coaches sometimes two, three months to sort of forge a relationship. He's somebody who really gets them on their side. He will defend them. When he got Almeria up at the time, they were like, okay, well, we need to change the squad because now we're obviously fighting better opposition. He's like, no, I'll go. If you're not going to go with the men that brought us here and you're not going to stay faithful to them, then I'll leave. But it is a great, I mean, the Pozzo family, there's been a lot of shade thrown their way because of obviously like the fact that they do dispense with managers very quickly. I don't know if that's an Italian thing. Come but... on, come on, own up to it. Come on, Abramovich does it and he's not Italian. That's true. But it's very much about they trust in the way that they're managed, their scouting network, the number of people they have to always bring in great players. And they look at coaches not necessarily for how much they've won in the past, but what they can do in extracting the potential of the players that they've uh, scouted all over the world, coaches who know how to speak to to the players. It doesn't always work out. We saw how many, obviously, that he's acted in the past, Pozzo, but um, they are doing so well and they deserve it. There's a buzz there at the moment, JJ, isn't there? there? There was a real sense after they got the first goal that the second one was going to be coming. What, what did you make of the game? Well, I think it's interesting that Watford's manager is uh, some, you know, sort of gone under the radar when he came in almost. He wasn't a, a big name, really. Uh, the thing with that Watford game, Spurs' two goals you can see were two set pieces. Last season, they weren't that great at defending them either. I think it was 10. I'm pulling out there, but I'm pretty sure I was reading it the other day. It was 10 they let in, which is um, not good. It's either below or above the average, whichever is worse. And uh, <laughs> and that's um, that's what they scored from. And uh, the goal that they scored was um, an own goal. And it's kind of a bit scrappy, and I think Watford looked really good. It's I like the shape; they're really well drilled. The positioning's really good. Holovas is awesome, giving them width. Crosses and deliveries into the box are hard to defend against. 
only good thing I saw Spurs do in that entire game is the one ball that Alderweireld played from the halfway line to Ali, who's run from deep to head it over the top of the keeper. If that had gone in, it'd been awesome. But otherwise, I think I think Watford are solid. They'll be good for finishing top ten. I thought. I mean, I don't want to predict it because that's a mugs game. Defensively, I really think that Arsenal, Arsenal should study them and Everton too if they have time. Oh, we'll get on to Arsenal in defence. Don't you worry about that, Mina. Spurs. You got to kind of disregard that slightly, slightly fortunate three nil win at Man United, didn't they? I, I thought they absolutely deserved to win that game, but the scoreline absolutely flattered them. This is the sort of game you have to win if you're going to be challenging for the title. Interesting with Tottenham. I was at um, Pochettino's press conference last Friday, and we we sort of turned up expecting him to be buoyant and in a great mood because of that scoreline. You know, there were three out of three, and he was in an awful mood, absolutely terrible mood, and he was slaughtering his team saying that, you know, the reality is different from the perception. Mm-hmm. If they carry on playing like they do against United, his actual words where they're going to crash. And he'll be so annoyed because it all played out against Watford. And I actually think he doesn't think they've particularly played well for an entire game this what, season. What's his issue? What are the major failings in the way they're playing? Well, his, his major issue always is with his team, if they're not winning, is intensity and work rate which he talked about yesterday and he certainly thought that in the first half against United and in the first half against Fulham he didn't like that performance either I think you can see it there's a little drop there's a tiny bit of drop and they're not quite as I don't know what the the word is but I would just go with that work rate intensity this is not quite up against their man man for man straight away there's that tiny 1% of difference which makes a big difference in those games and they're making lapses silly lapses at the back in his eyes I I think He's thought, though, he's clearly thought, judging by his mood Friday, that something like this was coming. And he's he's concerned that while the results are good, the performances just aren't there at the moment. Two other teams joined Watford on maximum points so far in the Premier League. Liverpool and Chelsea joint top after four games. It wasn't vintage Liverpool against Leicester, Mina, despite the 2-1 victory. Do you think Jurgen Klopp's worried about how his team are performing, like Pochettino? No, I think he's worried about Alisson. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, we did say last week, didn't we? How long would it be before Alisson came unstuck? And I'll tell you what, I think it'll be a long time before he does. He is really something exceptional. Will he be doing that again? I was confident that he knew the line between being a bit foolish and a bit brave. But on this occasion, he just, he's, I think he's just gone really arrogant now. He saw himself think everyone, everyone thought he was God afterwards for what he did in the previous match. But actually what happened is that, you know, on this occasion, Leicester knew what they were looking to do and they exposed him. Now that it's out the way that you just think that that's going to go forward. But really, it doesn't matter because at the moment, what Liverpool's doing so well is winning the matches that usually they wouldn't have done. But when you have the front three that they do have and the way that they move around the box and outside the box and pull defenders away and create space for them, even players like Harry Maguire, they, they can't keep up. And that is one thing that you can say they've got going forward. They will make mistakes at the back, but honestly, Joe Gomez was fantastic. When you have him alongside uh, Van Dijk, obviously this is a great centre-back partnership going on. Alisson usually wouldn't make these mistakes, but I'm struggling to see where their problems will come this season. Yeah, Salah's almost been marginal so far for them, and the, and the, the, the slack is massively picked up, isn't it, by the players around And I really them. do think that Mane is keen to lay down a marker and say that this time, you know, I, I, I had an off-season last season, I wasn't my very best, but this time it's going to be me that everyone's going to be looking at. But I'm interested to see now that they will face challenges in the Champions League that I'm I'm still going <laughs> to, I'm confident that they didn't really face a huge team other than Manchester City last season up until the run of the final, obviously until Real Madrid. But this is a time when you can honestly see what they're like against a 
European opposition of the highest caliber. Going back to Alison JJ, it was the it was the sort of thing which upset your dads up and down the country, as uh, as you mentioned uh, previously. Um, whose side were you on there? Do you think he is within his rights to be doing that sort of thing? I think I agree to an extent what Mina says about him being maybe a little. I think arrogance, uh, not mean. It's like harsh on him saying he's arrogant. But I know what you mean. It's like overconfidence. Yeah, Talk sure. Uh, yeah, it's just he just thinks he's got it. And I, I was thinking it's a little bit like, which I'm sure Matt will understand. Uh, learning to skateboard. <laughs> and yeah, I, did, I did use to skateboard to be fair. Did you? Yeah, amazing, yeah, right? Yeah. So for for me, the problem with skateboarding, I can't do it. By the way, uh, I'll do a wicked ollie in the studio. You can't see it when you learn how to break. You have to let you have to work out what your limit is and what you can get away with and what your kind of push point is. And that's almost probably what Allison's done is he's found out, oh, I can't do that every time because that'll happen. It's um, Van Dyke's pass takes him a little bit wide and then the fullbacks don't drop to positions they need to be in for him to have a free pass. So that's a little bit of an excuse for him. But it's just a pure bit of control. I don't think he'll do it again. He might, but it's I think it's fine him doing it because if he'd pulled it off. He can turn around, pass out wide, and they've got the move again and keep going. Shouldn't he just have walloped it? Is it no. too crass just to yeah, say, just know, get rid of it? Why it's not? Surely not just one or the other, though. Exactly. You can just still. It's not binary. There's you, you, can get, you can get the ball out without just having to whack it and without having can't, to. Can't you just whack it once or twice do, a game? Yeah, though? yeah, yeah hundred percent. That? That's, that's, that's exactly how I felt watching Petacek. But also, I do think that's a great point that you made. That he needs to have that communication with his back line to know so that they can drop into the right position so it makes it easier yeah. for him to play out the back. To be fair, though, because they, they didn't expect him to try and Cruyff turn <laughs> in his own six-yard box, so I can kind of see why they've not dropped because they think he might just balloon it out. There are times when you just need to get rid, and it, probably Van Dyke's pass should have been a trigger for that because it's taken him a little bit... It's a bit too slow, a bit too wide, so he's got someone closing him down. So maybe that's when. But I think that's a good marker for him to sort of work it out. Now he knows when he can stop his skateboard. He's fine. <laughs> Edison surely is the best keeper in the country, if not the world, at playing out from the back. Alison was getting last week. Everyone's like, "Oh, this boy's amazing. His passing is unbelievable. He's he's just as as good at Edison as, as doing Edison that." Was sort of lucky against Arsenal. Edison's out from the bat was terrible against Arsenal, almost as bad as Czech, but just got got annoyed, uh, ignored, not annoyed. I got annoyed. But, um, <laughs> First got, time for everything. Yeah, it got ignored because um, checks were so bad. But Edison was was poor with his distribution at the Emirates. What do they make of Newcastle in that game? I thought they acquitted themselves pretty well. You you were particularly impressed with their goalkeeper, Mina. I was, but how? Oh, did, I was like, how do you know that? <laughs> I was like, did, did I tell you that yes, before? Yes, you did. I mean, firstly, the triple save. Have you seen anything like it? Um, okay, no, we have to. But he is a traditional goalkeeper which I feel really sorry for him because if you aren't going to play a defensively or cautious type of game as Rafa Benitez is trying to do with Newcastle, then at least do the defending right. But instead, they allowed Sterling to come through. They didn't track um, certain midfield runners very well. I just thought their defensive game needs to be so much better. It's not just putting men behind the ball and hoping that they're going to rescue themselves. But Manchester City found their ways. Not enough, I understand. But I don't think their defensive game is very good. So Benitez needs to figure out that if he is going to play that type of way, that he his players need to, to understand that. Their goalkeeper, who I don't know how well I'm going to say his name, Dubravka. Very okay. well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> his save from Fernandinho. And then David Silva, obviously, his reaction was so quick to get to get onto the ball and shoot. And twice he got back up and rescued them. And this is not even mentioning what happened towards the end when he closed down Aguero and made sure that the scoreline stayed as it was and it wasn't too embarrassing for them. But that for me is, you know, old-fashioned goalkeeping and really I think that he deserved a mention. 
I was. Um, it sounds bad to Newcastle fans, but I was really pleased that Sterling opened the score in early because it just makes that game so much more entertaining. The five four one approach is. It makes total sense. It's a way to shut them down. Man City have struggled in the past, but that goal opened them up, and straight away the change and they they pushed the defensive line up a bit. Went to a three four three. It's more attacking basically. The numbers don't really matter, but uh, it's made it more of a game. The goal they scored was um, quite funny. Totally against the run of play. And Yedlin, he made it about 70 yards in about three Amazing seconds. Amazing run for that guy. Yeah, he's, it's like lightning and he gets in the end and finishes that. He said he deserved our win though. Newcastle probably played those two difficult games in a row the right way, but didn't come away with anything. My, my favourite story this week was um, that Mike Ashley is upset that he has not been invited to watch training at Newcastle by Rafa Benitez in the latest instalment of their unhappy relationship. So it's, it's a really weird place... Newcastle is a football club at the moment, isn't it? I mean, you've got you've got a lot of people who the, the fans have obviously completely bought into the fact that Rafa is a genius and overachieving, and that Ashley's completely letting himself down. And then people outside Newcastle who maybe don't get it so much like me, who don't cover it so closely, you look at it and you think, well. Benitez has made mistakes as well. I mean, Mitrovic is proving me wrong at the moment and also proving Benitez wrong. And some of the way he sets up his team and his constant whinging and politicising everything, I find it very weary and that it creates such a negative vibe around the club. But actually, if you say that to, to people who watch Newcastle and know actually know about Newcastle a lot, they really go at you about the fact that, that Benitez is well within his rights. But I, I think they're a bit like West Ham, though. Whatever they do... Because of the situation off the pitch, they lurch into crisis so easily and quickly and it just doesn't feel like it'll ever resolve itself until Ashley goes. Similar story at Man United at the moment with the fans very much backing the manager at Burnley uh, where they got back on track with a 2-0 win this weekend. We saw the first banner of the year though in protest of uh, Ed Woodward, um, a specialist in failure according to the words behind the aeroplane. How big of a waste of time is it paying for those sorts of banners given how in Woodward is with, with the Glazers? What happened to bed sheets? Yeah, why is it the dominant <laughs> way to protest now? What, what, the, what's wrong with the old A4 uh, protest Bed, bed sheets. When I was a kid going to football, you protested with a bed sheet. You got your bed sheet. And you, what sort of protest? <laughs> Not a dirty protest. But it's weird, isn't it? Like, as you say, who are these fans who can afford, who think, I know what we'll do. We'll all chip in however much money and, and hire a whole plane. Exactly. Surely you can't read it very well either. I suppose it's like, yeah, it's for the, t- it's yeah, for the TV it, cameras, isn't do? it? What's it going to do for anything? Why, why are you wasting the money? Like, you're just giving some jet company a bunch of money. Jet you wouldn't, Yeah, <laughs> that's what they call it. You wouldn't have, like, you wouldn't go and hang a banner outside the building opposite Microsoft and try and get the CEO to resign. He's going to go, oh, there's a guy over there with a banner. I've got got to quit now. It's not, it doesn't make any difference to Ed Woodward. I don't understand. I, I know you want to try and have a say yeah. in your club, but, I mean, sorry, it's, you're pretty much a customer, not a supporter now in the Premier League. So if you're watching it, it's not like they're going, oh, this, this, uh, this fan over here really cares. We're going to have to probably let you go, Ed. You know, if, if, if you're going to have a process and have a say, do it properly, create havoc, do what Coventry fans did, run on the pitch, stop games, throw plastic pigs on the pitch. Yes. Just do crazy stuff. <laughs> Listen, if you want them to spend the money, then he is the guy who sort of, he is a superstar in the sense that, I don't, what I don't understand is how he obviously, he is a superstar, at least in the banking world, not, yeah. not in the football yeah. world. When he, when you go up and you become M and A and J P Morgan, this is quite honestly the hardest thing. I have a banking background. Yeah, M and A means even <laughs> um, mergers and acquisitions. Ah. If you are doing that for J P Morgan, which is the second best only after Goldman Sachs, and if you are a superstar in that particular field, 
then you are going to be a guy who understands debt, who understands how to make the most of commercial revenues, how to make your your company float. And he is, in that sense, on a financial and commercial level, a superstar. Do you think he cares about the PR of it and how he's perceived with that background? No, but I do think the Glazer family should listen a little to what's being said at the moment. I think the hardest thing is obviously, you know, having the likes of Sir Alex Ferguson leave and retire, but to also lose Gil at the same time is is too much to bear. Somebody who mm. really genuinely understands football and how to scout talent. And instead, they've bought this man who was really just from a banking and investment background. So it doesn't really make sense because he, he can veto all he likes. And sometimes I would say, I understand his position because a lot of players didn't want to play for Jose Mourinho. So it's like, how do you make sure that you get everything that you want, but these players also want to come? Um, he's not the most supportive of of his set of coaches, and he made a lot of promises that he never kept. But I do think that listening to what the fans are saying at the moment, perhaps bring a sporting director, because the only way to get past this is to have somebody who understands what the coach wants, who also understands what's required to build a legacy and what's to build a team for the future as well as the present. And nobody does that better than a sporting director the old-fashioned way when it comes to continental football is having men doing the right job in the right places and everyone stays out of their way. All sounds dangerously sane, I'm afraid, Mina, for Manchester United. What about Burnley, JJ, the team they overcame? They they look in trouble. Yeah, I think they're in a bit of trouble this season. Sean Dice just looks a little bit perplexed on the touchline. There's a real lack of intensity. That word comes back again, but you can see it. They were kind of, not lethargic, but they weren't snapping to the ball. They didn't have a particularly solid shape. Man United had time and space in the ball, and as a result, Alexis Sanchez looked really good. So he had time good to do stuff. Good cross for the first goal. Yeah, his assist was um, excellent. He was he was actually really decent, but then, I mean, I would have been decent against that Burnley team because, <laughs> honestly, they just were not there, so they hadn't turned up. And you thought in the second half they'd come more at it, but Man United had better chances when they had 10 men even. Like later on, and I don't know where Burnley are going to score their goals from coming forward. It's just very predictable. Get the ball wide, put it into the box, try and win a second ball, and without that real drive determination to to win those balls and keep that possession, they are not doing anything well. Another team not doing very much well are West Ham, Matt. Uh, How much trouble are they in after defeat to Wolves uh, in in quite dramatic and... uh, Tragic circumstances on Saturday. Some people would have found it funny. Some may have found that funny, yes. I'm prepared to admit that some people might have found that funny. Uh, well, last time they lost four on the trot, it was with Avram Grant and they went down. So that would suggest they're in quite a lot of trouble. I think they go to Everton after the international break. And they've got Chelsea at home, possibly United after that. You start to think they could easily do a Palace and be seven games without any points. Pellegrini doesn't strike me as... A man who will be great in this situation. He doesn't come across as a motivator and a leader of men. Peacetime general rather than wartime. I agree with you, but that's completely the opposite of what they were saying at the start of the season. Do you remember when Zabaleta came and said he's obviously changing the the mentality of this team and now we really feel like we have a chance to win something and and everyone is so motivated and excited coming out of this and then they're like, oh, and then there's Jack Wilshere who'll bring in the, the experience of, you know, Arsenal and playing at the top level. None of that's happened. They don't look motivated, do they? They, no, look, no. they look slow. They're not running this, this is, I, I, We mentioned it in one of the other pods that the fear of what they've done transfer-wise is they've just fallen into that old trap of buying sort of names and fancy players and also, my my one problem, a point I haven't made, is they tend to always, and they, they have to in a way, but they tend to always buy players who are on the way down. 
last season it was like the, like the Joe Hart's and people. It's all people who had their best parts of their career after them. And again, Yarmolenko has probably had his best. Felipe Anderson probably isn't going to do any better at West Ham than he, he's done before. It doesn't feel like they've got hungry players, and that shows on the pitch at the I moment. That hungry part. I think Felipe Anderson will be the one exception. I think he's um, he could play for any of the top clubs. He's been absolutely brilliant so far. Um, all the games I've seen him play. One of the problems I think with the Premier League being this paradise of of wealth and you know fame for the players who come there is that you've sort of won the game once you sign for a club in the Premier League, and so the, really the hard work should then start to try and go up another gear. You're sort of I've already made it. I'm sort of here. I think Arsenal have had that problem for a long time actually. The players they've got in, and West Ham. It was weird in that game. You could see. They were sort of given far too much time to Wolves. They're given Wolves too much respect, even though West Ham were at home. The press didn't really start until 30 yards from their own goal, and then there was too much time for people to carry. Moutinho and Neves were just carrying the ball 30, 40 yards, and no one was going close to them. Arnautovic, I think, is having a good season. He looks solid. While Buena and, and well, there's Diop was his partner this time. They are not having a good season so far. No, no. <laughs> they're really not. And, and Cresswell was totally, totally killed by Traore's pace when most people would be, but at yeah. the end. But Wolves has waited their time. I think they're legit Wolves. I think they could do damage to a lot of teams. I think this is the difference when you have a good midfield, and I think that's what's making the difference for Liverpool as well this season. Mm. When you have Neves and Moutinho who understand how to create balance, how to provide going forward and how to provide a protection at the back, then you, you you saw Neves and Moutinho. Yeah. They just ran everything. Meanwhile, you looked at the the opponents, you know, in their midfield, and no one was trying to get the ball. It was very well, much sure like they're rule, don't they? Absolutely, they, yeah. they have no idea. They don't seem to have a tactical identity, which I don't understand because with Pellegrini, usually what he is always forged is a great relationship with his players. Unlike Rafa Benitez, even he obviously was with Real Madrid and some of the biggest in Malaga. They would do anything to make him happy. So it doesn't seem to be going on this time round where no one seems to care to push the ball or track Jota or try to do anything interesting. Yeah. Carlos Sanchez was an utterly bizarre signing as well. I mean, <laughs> wasn't he, that good at Villa, was he? I mean, he was in that, that Villa side that you know just got relegated with barely picking up any points and he was poor. I thought he had a poor World Cup. He got sent off in the World Cup. I don't really know how he did in Italy. But it was just a random, random signing that was. And I mean, he was obviously kind of at fault for the, the goal yeah, against totally Wolves. Fault, yeah. But w- what I meant by Pellegrini, he just doesn't seem like a guy who's now going to get amongst the squad and almost just motivate them. You know, in this kind of situation, a kind of old school view, but tactics and all that can go out the window. I mean, they just really need to get together and, and try and try and try and, and run and run and run. You know, that's what Moy's got them doing yeah. last season. I think you're right with that, though. That is the thing. When you start getting that trouble, so when you create that, that culture of... Um, been more attacking rather than so you're trying to create a new culture in the club right Pellegrini's idea is to come in and make them more attacking and more possession based in play and you can buy into that and get all confident but if the results don't start coming in you're naturally going to start to doubt the message and then see it's not working so then if that you don't believe the leader's confidence that has less power with the words that he says and then you turn into a situation where you need someone like <laughs> I'm not going to see Neil Warnock uh, Roy <laughs> Hodgson someone who can who, who gets you like Buzzed, fired up, gets players in who maybe aren't the most talented, but they have the best work rate and understand their position. Then you just get these teams in the Premier League who are always bottom 10, who just win some, draw some, like a Mark Hughes kind of team. They win some. He always talks about the the drive and the intensity every single time, and that's all there is. I also think that this this is why it's so important to have a great sporting director at your club, because he's not there just to find the guys who can do the job on a technical level. 
but who who has the motivation to do it. Mm. You know, when you have somebody like, okay, Nuri Shahin was the best uh, midfielder, for example, at the time in, in Germany, and Vidal was the second. Real Madrid obviously went for Shahin, but they he didn't have the motivation, or at least at the time Juventus didn't think so. So they went for, for Vidal, and someone said, well, why not? He's not that technical. He's more of a combative player. They're like, because you know why? He rides horses after training, which means he has that much energy <laughs> to spare. And we want a player who has that much energy to spare. He's so determined to make a difference. And obviously, Vidal turned out to be this wonderful player that they had. But they don't actually ever, when they chose Bonucci over Ranocchia, it was a case of Ranocchia was so much better as a defender. But they chose Bonucci because they thought he was more motivated. But I think having a sporting director, it's not just about getting the right players or ones who can do it on a technical level, like Felipe Anderson, like Arnautovic. But somebody who you think can offer balance on a psychological level as well. West Ham tried to do the right thing on the sporting director. They brought in someone who was recommended by Pellegrini. Might not actually be the best idea because as we were talking with Watford, they, they're quite successful in, in kind of bringing in players who suit them rather than suit the coach. Exactly. Perhaps um, the solution is just to get Jack Wilshire a horse. I think that's <laughs> what should happen there. Last week, we promised, Mina, we would speak about Arsenal's defence at yeah, your request. Yeah. Um, they won 3-2 at Cardiff. Was there any improvement for them in Wales at the back? I mean, it's the staff of nightmares for me, if I'm honest. Can I just say something? Cardiff hadn't scored a league goal. Quite. But obviously did manage two against Arsenal and nearly should have really drawn and made it 3-3, whatever, not for the end. My issue with it is that there, there's no midfield cover. That really upsets me when you have two centre-backs who are left constantly exposed because their full-backs think that they're wingers or actual forwards because they're in the box all the time. And then you don't have a midfield. Firstly, there's only two anyway. Yeah. But you don't have them going back and plugging gaps in the same way that you see of Watford midfielders do. There's no defensive unit. There's no defensive shape. There's no identity at the back. It's everyone's just going for it. When you have Mesut Ozil and Hector Bellerin behind him and he's not tracking back to help that, then what's what's the point? You're just playing with 15 attackers and two centre-backs at the end of the day. And this is what needs to change because if this continues, I, I honestly can't see how Arsenal, they always have to outscore the opponent. And let's be honest, they're not that great going forward. Perhaps uh, Emery, who usually was very cautious and understood how to create a defensive unit, doesn't seem to know what to do with this lot. Are there any quick fixes, JJ? Anything that he could start doing? Yes, from... three-man midfield. <laughs> <laughs> it's really difficult. What he's got there is clearly, the, again, he's, it's like West Ham. You're trying to create a new culture at the club, and that's something that takes a lot of time and is very difficult to do. Specifically on the pitch, you've got Mustafi and Socrates are defending different things at the same time. <laughs> like they're going for this. The, there's a couple of um, highlights you can see in that game, and there's about three or four defenders who are all going towards the ball at the same time, and none of them are holding their position. And the problem, well, the thing with defending is you have to have shape, otherwise you just free someone else up for another chance. And discipline. Uh, yeah, discipline, discipline, um, positioning. Bearin doesn't, he's not, he's so quick and really quickly accelerate, but not when he's defending and he's not blocking crosses from wide. Monreal is sort of the same, although he tends to come inside the pitch rather than going wide at the moment. You've got Ozil, Ramsey, Xhaka, who aren't fantastic at covering, but then you need one them to hold in. When Torreira came on, they were a lot better. It seemed they had more balance. The goals they conceded were Cardiff effectively scrumming their way into the, the game. You know, it was high aerial balls and they're losing duels. And that's fine because you're, Ramsey getting beaten to the ball is normal. Jack getting the ball is, is normal. You, you're playing technical footballers, so you kind of expect that. Passing from the back thing is admirable and I think they should continue with it. But clearly Peter Cech is very, uh, well, Petr Cech is 
not comfortable with his first touch and his passing. His passing is too soft. His first touch has given opposition players far too much time to close him down. His, his pals in defence aren't helping out. When they do come forward, Cardiff are pushing high and normally they sit back and they were pushing high to try and get them and they were having loads of fun with it. And I like that the end Warnock said that, oh, we know we're not good enough to sit back and, and defend. We thought we'd have a go. And it was what? fun for the fans. And it was, I, um, it was ace to watch. I feel sorry for Chet because he's been one of the best goalkeepers in Premier League history yeah. and he's being made to look a mug at the moment. And if this carries on and, you know, let's speculate that this would be his last season as Arsenal number one. He might not even last through the season at Arsenal number one the way it's going. Then this will taint his legacy. People will remember this farcical situation that he's finishing. He should ignore the coach. He should just ignore him. He should just smash the ball, ignore him. If he gets dropped, he gets dropped. Protect your legacy. Be selfish. Forget about Arsenal. Forget about Unai Emre. Protect number one Petter because you're is, better than this. This is what I, I am, I'm upset about because I really do think Emery's ruining it. Like you're, he is trying to play a certain way of football, you know, where you know you go out and attack. We play out the ball from the back he doesn't have the players suited to what it is tactically he's trying to do. You obviously know that you're right now playing a goalkeeper that has never been forced to do that in his past. So so play the player that you brought in, the goalkeeper that you did bring in, if that's what you want to do. Secondly, if you want to play all-out attack and have your centre-backs be really the only two, then bring two centre-backs who are very good in one-on-one situations. You can't do that when you have those two centre-backs and then allow your full-backs to, to go forward in the way they have without yeah, right. any defensive caution. Mm-hmm. He hasn't paid attention to the talent that he has. He's got an idea of playing football and he's making it work whether he likes it or whether the players like it or not. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to play this game. But unless you secure the defence, then you can never really get the attack to move I'm, forward. I'm going to bring Gary Cahill into this again. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a column today on Gary Cahill and I did some I'd research. i say a love letter to Gary Cahill. <laughs> a love letter to Gary Cahill. And I did some research on this. And seven years ago, Arsenal would not pay £6 million for Gary Cahill. In the intervening seven years, they've spent £97.9 million on seven defenders who have played at in centre of defence, and only Murtasaka you could count as any sort of success. Their recruitment of defenders has been just appalling. They've overpaid for bad defenders. They've bought in cheap defenders who were never going to be anywhere good enough. I mean, it goes a long way past Emery, but I completely agree with you in that Emery's come in and for all the stuff I've given him credit for on this podcast in the previous weeks and making them quite fun and I quite like the way he's managing them, it feels like he's just ignored it. Monreal as well, defensively, has gone to pieces. At Cardiff, he was... Thing, like, I think we have the players to play this way, but the, maybe the... I don't know how... I've not been to Arsenal's training ground and seen how the coach defencing and how... Defencing? Defending, oh my <laughs> God. It's happened to me. <laughs> They coach my uh, grammar. The uh, I don't know how they've been coaching. I am it. trying, Jade. <laughs> yeah, I mean you have. If you look at how Liverpool have solved their problem by buying Van Dijk, this uh, great world class player who's come in and fixed those things, he makes players next to him look much better. And so it matter who like Gomez was superb on the weekend, but he's got Van Dijk next to him who keeps it kind of you know he keeps everything cool. If you've got Socrates, who I think is a really composed natural defender, who's playing next to Mustafi, who's like a terrier running after the ball every single time trying to close down and and, and, um, and stop it rather than cover it. And Koscielny, when he comes back, should probably give them a lot more solidity because he is a solid defender who doesn't do too many daft things. But he just needs someone who helps the other one through a game sometimes. That's when they're struggling. Like at Chelsea, I was noticing in the note of Monreal and Bering going forward. At Chelsea, when Alonso fires <laughs> into being a striker, 
Jorginho drops a little bit and just covers that space of the off his of his left shoulder to make sure that there's no um, massive way to. And you've got Kante. Uh, I mean, I was at Chelsea, and yeah. there was a point when they broke on them, and, and Ryan Fraser looked like he was going to score, and Kante. Yeah. Made the most unbelievable run back to uh, yeah. to block him. There's no centre back partnership that can just do it on its own. That's why even when you have Barcelona, you used to have Sergio Busquets drop back into the back three, like you have with Kante in Chelsea. He will track. He will do something. The midfield has to offer Dyer you help. Did it at Tottenham Dyer drops. Fellaini did it this weekend yeah. for Man U. For Man United, great, exactly. Yeah. You always need cover because no two centre backs in the world are good enough to manage all of it by themselves. So you need protection from the midfield. And if you're playing with Xhaka and when doozy, that's it. Then, if you're going to let them attack you, that they know how to drop back and, and fill gaps, or you don't, you can't attack from every single area of the pitch. Well, I think I think that's Arsenal comprehensively solved. To be honest, let's just hope Unai Emery has downloaded and subscribed to AFC Telegraph. We, of course, now move into the international break where England face Spain and Switzerland. A name missing from the England squad, but uh, who could be one to watch. Scored in Everton's one-all draw with Huddersfield at the weekend, Matt. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, I was with Southgate last week for his squad announcement where he made a big thing about the lack of young English talent getting chances at, you know, the big six. And obviously Everton haven't finished in the top six. They may consider themselves one of the big six. But I, I thought he undermined his argument a little bit, and I think Calvert-Lewin is a, is a good example of that because Calvert-Lewin, before Sam Allardyce came in to Everton last season and, and changed the style of play, was doing really well for Everton. He's done well for England under-21s, and then he's come in this season, he scored twice in the Carabao, he scored, scored again at the weekend. I think he's a really interesting player. He can play from a wide position, he can play up front on his own. I'm not saying he's, he's going to solve everyone's problems, but I think he's a good example I think he's 21, a good example of a young English player who's actually made the most of his chance at a big club who probably deserves a chance within the England squad at some stage. Especially because of the fact that every coach who's ever trained him from when he was seven years old has always spoken highly of his attitude and his hunger and the fact that he always stays behind to train nonstop. When you have a player like that within the squad, that's instinctively going to motivate everyone around. So Fits the ethos that Southgate is seemingly... Precisely that. And when he is as technically gifted and strong with his attitude, then he's kind of the full package at the moment for Southgate in that with what he's looking to do. I think there's some others there. I mean, there's there's Will Hughes at Watford, I surprised. He might fill that kind of creative void. Yeah, exactly. Um, There was a lot of talk about Foden going into the the squad. But Will Hughes has got a, a really good reason for you know argument for being in and then a great advert will Hughes for actually sticking a little bit longer than you might expect with a championship club and getting a load getting, of games yeah, under your belt exactly. rather than just going on loan and playing in reserve matches until you're sort of 23 <laughs> <laughs> don't know who you're talking about and then um Callum Wilson as well was was really good for Bournemouth I'd, I'd, I was a bit disappointed with Southgate sorry I, you know you're not allowed to criticize Southgate after the World Cup but his whole argument of of there not being enough of a talent pool to pick from, I thought was completely undermined by the fact that he, he ignored three or four young English players who've actually started the season really well. But that could also be that he's trying to set a standard. Like Hughes, I think, will definitely be an England player in the future, but he just makes a few too many little mistakes here and there that you... Like, he just did a little bit of control on the, on the right wing. This is very specific in the game yesterday where you're trying to take on a player and then just sort of knocked out for a throw. And he was lucky not to be sent off a few weeks ago and he also went. Dembele fouled him, but he lunged in with a kind of scissor bit from behind yesterday as well. And um, I think that's maybe 
if you start having these young players in when they're young, there's no next ladder step to get to. It's just that you're already in and that's that's you there. It should be more of, you know, you have to really jump high to get the apple from the tree to get in that squad. It should be a, an elite thing. I agree with that. Although the, the difficulty is you've then got players in the squad who just aren't playing, you know, Loftus-Cheek, yeah. Delph. There was three or four. Welbeck coming off the bench a little bit. I mean, even Rashford's only been coming off the bench. So it's not like the, the squad is filled with players who are playing every week. So yeah. it's, it's look, it's difficult for him. I mean, he, he came up with the figures himself. It's 30% uh, are English starters at the moment in the Premier League, which is a small amount. But I do think there are opportunities there and there are young English players Madison I should mention as well who have started the season well how do we feel about the Nations League as a concept Mina are you on board with it as you are the uh, the ICC it's not as good no. if I'm really <laughs> what, honest and what is what is <laughs> the ICC in association with Mina Azuki. I bet you next summer you're going to watch you're going to watch it I've bought my ICC season ticket Look, it does make the friendly matches, you know, no longer that friendly. But to be honest, I can't judge it until I see the first round of games and I'll see how seriously all the teams actually take it and whether or not they are going to just play it as something more exciting and more competitive than a friendly match. Obviously, when it comes to format, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit complicated, but I honestly don't know how to judge it yet because we haven't seen the first round of games. I, I like it. I like it as much for anything of the fact that against Spain... You can only make three subs. The worst thing going to those games at half time when you just start subbing, subbing, subbing because the game just disappears in front of you. So that's good to start with. England are in a tough little group with Croatia and Spain, which I think will be really interesting. That's one of the good things is that you'll have big teams versus big teams, yeah. you know, the France, Germany, that kind of thing. It's important for Spain. So immediately you would imagine Spain have got to take it seriously given the World Cup and the fact they've got a new manager. Croatia will be interested in how seriously they take it. I think. I don't properly understand everything to do with it, but I think I'm right in saying as if you win your group, you then enter some sort of mini tournament next summer as well, which is likely to be in Italy or Portugal, which I'm very much up for for my summer, having a week in Italy or Portugal covering a little (laughs) mini tournament of all the winners. I, I think it's good. I mean, we've all moaned so much about friendlies and international friendlies are generally boring. Yeah, but unless they do play as a friendly. But my problem is that it's too many small teams that will do well as well and that will then qualify. What have you got against Gibraltar? That's what you want, though. Like Scotland, the Scotland fan. Yeah, like it, it's yeah. so boring. Like the Champions League is the same have, teams you know, like every time. Holland versus Germany and, you know. Like, yeah, but it's the same every time. Like, I, I, I want to have smaller ones playing small. Like, it's, it's interesting to me having the Iceland. smaller teams. It's always yeah. the story of it when the small teams as well. Yeah, but Iceland actually won their group for the World Cup. I mean, to yeah, qualify yeah, for the World Cup. It, so they're not really they're a small team. Yeah, yeah, but it's and like the Faroe Islands versus it. Gibraltar. <laughs> That's going to be pretty like dark. The World Cup did feel less of like a World Cup without Italy there this summer. And and Holland, I think. And Scotland, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's move on to the <laughs> cleverest moment of the weekend, sponsored by JJ Ball and spoken by JJ Ball. What have you got for us, JJ? There are many things that happened this week that I particularly like. A lot of them are first touches, which is sort of weird and very pretentious. But uh, what I did like specifically was uh, Glenn Murray's involvement in Brighton's 2 old draw at the weekend. But he's 35 years old and plays a little bit like how I think Alan Shearer would now, literally now if he started playing again. <laughs> his, his movement is top level. So he's really, really smart. The way he pulled away, it, you could say it's his, his movement, but also it's probably Diop's um, 
dreadful defending for, from Fulham for the for the first goal that he scored. But he just pulls away from defenders. He he um, often stays tight to them, nudges into them to make them drop back a yard, then pulls away and he's got two yards of space. It's dead clever and he's always there. He seems to know where the ball is going to go from crosses. His teammates are looking for him and that might be done in the training ground where they're aiming for certain sections of the area so that he can head towards them to try and get in. But he wins most of his battles in the air. Defenders hate playing against him. They try and stay tight to him so they can keep hold. But he likes that because he knows where they are and that's how he can get that little trick where he pushes them and goes away and, and scores. And then also, there's another bit where their penalty that they missed, that Brighton missed early on, I think he was offside actually in a build-up, but he ran ahead of the defender off the shoulder of the man, went onto the through ball into the box and uh, as the player gets tight to him, he just does a little shoulder drop and turns on the outside of his right foot and gets fouled and wins the penalty. It's weird that you shouldn't think a player like that would be so high up in the Premier League, but there's only, I think it's something like Champions League players this season who have scored more than him in the last two seasons. Wow. Not just a big can I, unit. Can I nominate a non-clever moment? Yes, please. Michel Vorm. Yes. His goal <laughs> kick out for corners. Anyone ever seen that before? I've never seen that, no. no. That was unbelievable. It's brilliant. And he sort of tried to blame Toby Alderweireld as well. And the sun. He tried to blame the sun. The sun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's the weather. Just ama- literally never seen that happen ever before. What a treat. What a treat to be seeing new things in football. Finally, Paul Scholes returns to play for his son's team at the weekend. 11th tier, Royton Town versus Stockport Georgian, filling a spot... They still lost, unfortunately, the, the team of Skulls and Skulls Jr. But I, I want to know when you have seen a player clearly far too good for the level that they're playing at. We'll start with JJ. <laughs> well, I remember watching Henrik Larsson a lot and uh, he was just um, a special, special talent. You could tell that he was at the very peak of his game and it was great that he was playing in Scotland at the time, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s. He was just special. You could go on and on about him and why he was so good, but you saw him when he went to Barca and Man United, just incredible. Weirdly, I also thought when I saw Van Dijk play at Celtic, you could tell straight away that he would be, again, he's top top level. I think I really like Scottish football. I love it and I think it's great. But there are different leagues that are of a higher quality perhaps and a higher standard of player. And Van Dijk um, was a clear standout. I also think Kieran Tierney now will probably be another one of that ilk. Laudrup was like that as well, wasn't he? I was quite... Brian, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was relatively young when Laudrup was in Scotland, but I seem to just remember watching... Laudrup kind of rip up Scottish weird, football. Because you had Brian Laudrup and Paul Gascoigne in the same sort of team and that's when it was a higher level and they were buying players. Like Tori Andrew Flo cost £12 million once. And uh, so it was a bit of a... There was more money in the game and there was a lot of those players. There were some good teams they had back then. Those were standouts. Larson was one of the best players I've ever seen. Who's yours, Mina? Um, I'm going to go to uh, my team when they went down to Serie B and then they had uh, the, the old faithful but probably... No one bigger than Alessandro Del Piero, who decided to stay with the club, play in Serie A, try to score as many goals as possible, and uh, Juventus were promoted back to the top tier of football. Buffon as well, must have looked quite good. Buffon, in Serie yeah. B, yeah. And they had this great line that said, you know, a, a gentleman never deserts his, uh, his lady. She's mm. the old lady. Matt Law? I played in a, in a press game, the England press, which our own Sam Wallace was the captain of. And uh, you always tend to have a ringer in the team. And we were playing in Kazakhstan against Kazakhstan. We thought it was their not the team. Kazakhstan national team. Well, it nearly was. I mean, wow. we we got to the stadium and uh, it was televised, unbeknown to us. It was going to be. We walked out and did national anthems. Uh, what was, kit were you wearing? There was a proper crowd. We were wearing an England kit, not like uh, one made of newsprint. And it, it turned out we were playing a semi-professional team, and we got absolutely battered. But our ringer that day was Chris Waddle, who was there for the BBC, and he was rubbish. <laughs> but what I'm going to say. 
I think Sam Wallace did want to substitute him, he was so bad. But what I'm going to say is that I think he realised very early on that he was onto a complete loser playing with us and that we were all so appalling that he just wasn't going to try. But he was rubbish. There you have it. Matt Law, very possibly better at football than Chris Waddle. That's all from this week's Audio Football Club. Contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before our next episode. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club online. I am confident you can take it from there. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons. And thank you, of course, to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Let us reveal the mystery now. Who are you, mystery player? Yes, that's right. It's former Scotland international Chris Iwellmo. And you've been listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.